Good morning, Harvest. We're so glad to get to gather with you today online for our first official digital service. And uh, man, we are in some unprecedented times right now. And it's crazy and stuff just going all over the place. But even in the midst of this crisis that we're in, um, I think we have a really great opportunity as the church, as the people of God, to step into this with the gospel on our side. And so that's what I want to do today with you as we walk through some scriptures is um, take a pause from our break in, uh, a pause from our series in Acts and um, do a, a sermon just for this time, just for this season that we find ourselves in. And so I've simply entitled it Following Christ in a Crisis. And as Christians, as the church, we need to know how to respond when things like this happen. And so hopefully this sermon is going to help us with that today. Um, we're going to be in three different scriptures today. So I, we're going to be in Romans 8. Isaiah 26 and 1 Peter 4. So I'd encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bibles. Um, hopefully you already got some sermon notes printed off from um, the online resources, or maybe you can pull it up on your phone or your iPad or whatever. And uh, go ahead and get your Bible open to Romans 8. You can bookmark that. And then Isaiah 26 and 1 Peter 4. And we're going to walk through these scriptures today to see how do we respond to a crisis as the people of God. So um, as I'm sure you have uh, seen and noticed, the stock market um, has been crazy over the last couple of weeks. And some of you, I'm, I'm sure, are painfully aware of that. Um, in the midst of this coronavirus crisis, the Dow has fallen 30% from its highest point on February 12th. Now, that obviously seems like horrible news for most of us. Um, but actually, for some people, it's a great opportunity. Um, if you have the cash flow, this is a great time to invest. If you know anything about economic theory, um, investing when the market is low gives you the best chance for a big return when it rebounds. And But the key to capitalizing on that is you have to invest in the midst of the crisis. You can't wait till it's over to then get on. You have to jump in in the middle of the crisis and invest then. And the same thing is true for us in our Christian lives. Right? I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, with this whole stock market thing, we've got a whole new building we've got to renovate. So, I mean, we put a little cash in there, we might get this whole thing paid for. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The stock market, the church is not jumping into the stock market. But we as the church can jump into this crisis with our hearts and with our, with our minds and with the gospel and invest in the lives of people and see hopefully a big return for Jesus and for his kingdom. And so I want us to start viewing this crisis not as something to be feared or panicked or worried about or frightened but something to grasp as an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus. And so right now we need to be the church and shine the light into the darkness that's all around us. This is where I want to kind of think on today as we look through these scriptures. Crisis is an opportunity to trust Christ exceedingly and love people extravagantly. Crisis is an opportunity to trust Christ exceedingly and love people extravagantly. So with that in mind, go ahead and flip over to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 22 this morning. Verse 22 says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The first thing I want you to, to recognize today about crisis is this, that in crisis, creation groans expectedly. In the middle of crisis, creation is groaning just as we would expect it to, just as Paul talks about here. He says that the whole creation groans. And he's pointing back here, if we go all the way back to Genesis 1, when God created all things, when he created the universe, when he created everything, he created it good. 
He says he created it good, and even at the climax, he calls it very good. Creation was perfect, just as the creator is perfect in its original sense. But then we all know what happens. Genesis 3 comes, and Adam and Eve, the first humans, decide that they know better than God, and that they're going to rebel against him, and they're going to go their own way, and they choose to sin against a holy and perfect God. And their sin comes in, and it breaks all of creation. And from that moment on, what Paul is talking about here is he's saying that creation is groaning with the, what he calls the pains of childbirth. And that's an allusion to the idea that when sin broke creation, what that brought in was sickness and suffering and death and all the things that we suffer through in this world today as humans. And so this ultimately is the, is the answer to the age-old question of why is there suffering in the world? Why do we have crisis? Why do we have pandemics? Why do we have these issues? Because sin broke the world that we live in, and now it's groaning. And Paul goes on to say that not only creation groans, but we ourselves groan. That that we're part of this broken creation. As humans, as mankind, sin broke us too. It broke our hearts. It broke our, our morality. It broke our sense of being. And because of that, we are born with sinful hearts and sinful desires that cause us to chase after sinful actions and sinful behaviors. And all of that sin in our lives and in our heart, it separates us from God. He's holy, he's perfect, he can't be a part of sin. And so when we sin, we put a chasm between us and him. And that sin and that brokenness keeps us separated from God in such a way that we can't even fix it. We can't find a way to get back. We can't bridge it. We can't solve the problem. And so we need what the Bible calls salvation. We needed a God who would send his son to be a human, to be God in the flesh and live a perfect and sinless life. And then go to the cross and sacrifice that life for you and me. He stepped up to be our substitute, to take the wrath and the punishment and the death that we deserve for our sin. He put it on himself and he went into the grave. And then three days later, he rose back to life to show us that he was God and to say, listen, if you'll believe in me, I have conquered sin, I have conquered death, and I will forgive you. And I will make you clean and I will reunite you with the Father. I will make you whole again. You don't have to keep groaning underneath the weight and the penalty of your sin. I hope that you've believed in Jesus like that. If you haven't, you can do that today, and you can find some hope in the midst of all the crisis and all the craziness of our world, all the brokenness around us. You can find Jesus, and he'll give you hope. He'll give you life. But even here, as Paul's talking about Christians groaning, he says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's how we know he's talking to Christians, right? Because once you get saved, once you put your faith in Jesus, the way you know you're saved is the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives in you. And you have the first fruits of the Spirit. You have him with you all the time. But it doesn't stop there. We're still looking forward, he says. We still groan as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. Once you put your faith in Jesus, we are immediately saved from the penalty of sin. But unfortunately, because we live in this broken world, we're not yet saved from the pain of sin. Brokenness and pain and and sin still creeps in on us and continues to affect us in so many ways. And so Paul's saying here, we're waiting for that day. We're, We're longing for the day when our bodies are made perfect and we get to live in eternity perfect with our God. And in the Bible, we call that glorification. So we already have salvation now if we believe in Jesus. We're awaiting glorification one day when our bodies will be made whole and the brokenness will go away and the pain and the suffering will be no more. But in between salvation and glorification, 
we have to walk through what the Bible calls sanctification. And sanctification is that process of God changing our hearts and changing our behaviors and making us more and more like Jesus, little by little, step by step, day after day. And you know what the Bible shows us and what my own life has shown me? Is that our greatest sanctification oftentimes comes in our greatest moments of suffering. That God actually uses suffering to break us and change us and mold us and to sanctify us in ways that oftentimes won't happen without the crisis, without the brokenness, without the suffering. So this is a great opportunity for God to do a mighty work in our lives. You know, um, our youngest daughter, Ava, this last week was her birthday. She turned six. I can't believe she already turned six. It's, it's, it's true what they say about the days being long and the, the years going fast. And, man, we just see that, that happening with our kids. But it seems like every year, um, whenever it comes time for birthday or Christmas, it's harder and harder and harder to find a gift for these girls because they have so much stuff. Our kids have so many toys and so much stuff. Like, I don't even know what to get them anymore. It wasn't like that when we were kids, right? Like, as a boy, when I was a kid, you had, like, two options. You had G.I. Joes and Hot Wheels. Like, beyond that, <laughs> you were pretty much out, right? But our kids have all this stuff today. And so, trying. but I remember one time when I was a kid, one Christmas, you know, there was, like, the new big toy that comes out. And one Christmas, I remember pulling out the Sears Roebuck catalog, right, and flipping through, and I found the new big toy that year was the, the rock tumbler. Anybody remember the rock tumbler? I got a picture here. We'll show you. Remember the rock tumbler? <laughs> so I don't know how this exactly was a toy for kids. Like, hey, kids, we got you this new toy. Come here and sit in and watch this barrel turn for hours, and then when it's all done, guess what you get? A rock, right? Like, wow, I can't believe I get a rock. But, but this was a thing, and, and it's actually modeled after um, – an actual tool that's used to refine stones and gems. And they take rough stones and they put them in a barrel and they put it in there with water and chemicals and abrasives and they start spinning that barrel. And as the barrel spins, the, the rough rocks, they bang up against each other, they bang up against the barrel, they bang up against the abrasives and the minerals in there. And over time, it smooths off all the rough edges and it makes them smooth and clean and it usually makes them beautiful and they sparkle if they are gems and it it refines them into something better well crisis is god's tumbler if you will god uses crisis in our lives to put us in the barrel and spin us around and we bounce off each other and we bounce off creation and we bounce off all the brokenness in our world and god uses that to shave off the rough edges of who we are and to make us smooth and beautiful and like jesus So this whole crisis that we're in right now, God wants to use this to refine us. He wants to use this to make us more like him. We should not be surprised or panicked by crisis, but rather we should see it as God's work in our lives, doing something great. Just as much as I can expect crisis to come, I can expect God to use it in my life. And that's what we're going after, friends. Just as much as I can expect, crisis is going to keep coming, and it will. Every time it comes, I can expect God's going to use it to sanctify me and to make me holy and to make me more like Jesus if I will step into that and allow him to do so. So if crisis is part of God's plan, if it's part of his sanctification, so then what do we do with that? How do we respond to something like this? That's the second point that we want to look at today. So go ahead and flip over to Isaiah chapter 26 now. I know it might take you a second, so that's okay. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 26, and we're going to start in verse 3. And we're going to see the first step of our response in a crisis like this as followers of Jesus. 
Verse three says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Second thing that we need to do in a crisis is in crisis, trust Christ exceedingly. Trust Christ exceedingly when crisis comes. Here in verse 3, we have a promise from the prophet Isaiah. He says, talking about God, he says, you keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace there means safety. It means, it means freedom from danger. It means being protected from ultimate harm that might come against us. That God will do that for us. Doesn't that sound good to you this morning? Does anybody else need some peace in their life right now? Amen? Right? Like Things are just crazy and tumultuous and peace sounds really, really good. And here Isaiah says, we can have perfect peace if our mind is stayed on you. If our mind is stayed on God. That phrase there, that our mind is stayed on you, means that we are firmly focused on God. That maybe I, I use it this way, maybe we are, we are undistracted from who God is. That's another thing that I could really use in my life right now. Maybe you can too. Have you felt like the last couple of weeks have been super distracting? Like, it's been hard to focus on anything. Like, every time there's, a, there's a, just a whirlwind of data and new videos coming out and new press conferences and new changes and new laws and restrictions, and it's just a whirlwind of information, and it's so hard to focus on anything right now, whether it be work or family or church or especially hard to focus on the Lord right now, right? Have you noticed that, that it's hard to, to quiet your heart and quiet your mind and just get alone with Jesus because of all the distractions that are going on? But Isaiah promises us that if we'll stay our mind on God, that he will give us perfect peace. And I want that peace. I think you do too. So how do we do that? How do we stay our mind on Jesus? Well, he tells us right after that, he says, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It starts with trust. The more I trust in God, the more I'm going to be able to focus on him and rest in him and receive the peace that he has for me. So trusting in Christ, how do I do that? What's that look like? Well, trusting in Christ means not trusting in anything else more than Christ. Listen to me now. Trusting Christ means not trusting in anything else more than Christ. And I, I found three specific examples the Bible tells us and warns us against things that we try to trust in more than Jesus. So here's your list. Trusting in Christ means not in man. Psalm 118.8 says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Pretty clear, right? It's better to take refuge in God than it is in the authority of man. Now listen, the Bible isn't telling us to completely disregard man. In fact, other parts of God's word tells us that we are supposed to respect authority. And we're supposed to listen to the government that God has put in place. And, and that his hand is in all of that. And we should be, be honoring respectful to them. But it also tells us that we should not put our hope in them that they should not be our final authority. God is our final authority, and we should trust in him way more than we trust in anyone or anything else. So trusting in Christ means not in man. Number two, trusting in Christ means not in self. Psalm 20, I'm sorry, Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Oftentimes we want to put our 
trust in our own selves. We think that we've got it figured out, that we're smart enough, that we, we, we've got a good enough handle on things. But in times like this, in crisis, man, our emotions go crazy and our minds go weird places and, and they're not stable. We, we say in counseling all the time that my emotions are not a good indicator of truth. God's word is a good indicator of truth. So I don't want to trust in me. I want to trust in his wisdom and his word. I want to come here and say, God, I trust in you and what you say, not in what my emotions are telling me in the moment. So trusting in Christ means not in man, not in self. Lastly, trusting in Christ means not in riches. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. I know some of you are probably starting to feel the pinch of this already. Maybe you haven't been able to work as many hours or as many days. Maybe you're feeling some financial strain or you know that that's coming. And it's hard to, to not get distracted by that and not get worried by that. But listen, at the end of the day, your paycheck, your bank account, your stock portfolio, your toilet paper count is not going to save you. It's not going to deliver you. Only God can do that. And so when we put our trust in him, he promises to provide everything that we need. So we don't need to trust in man. We don't need to trust in ourselves. We don't need to trust in riches. We need to trust in Christ exceedingly. Isaiah goes on here in Isaiah 26 in verse 4. He keeps pressing down on this trust issue. He says, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I love that that title there that he gives to God, an everlasting rock. Other translations call him the rock eternal. The old hymn that we used to sing calls him the rock of ages. And when we're talking about a rock here, it's not some little stone or pebble or, no, this is a giant boulder cliff type of rock, strong, stable, solid, unmovable. That's who our God is, right? He is a firm foundation on which we can stand, and so you can trust him. That's what Isaiah is saying is he is the rock, but not just any rock. He's the everlasting rock. The Old Testament calls him the everlasting father, the everlasting God, the everlasting king, the everlasting rock, meaning he is the alpha and he is the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He has always been and he always will be. There is nothing greater in this universe than our God is. He has been around and he has seen all of it. You know what I'm talking about? You know how the longer you live, the more stuff you see and stuff starts not to surprise you or worry you or or because you've been through it before. I was talking with one of our older saints this past week and, and you know, he said, I've been here for a long time and I've been around, but I've never seen anything like this. I think a lot of us are feeling that. I've never seen anything like this, but you know who has? God has. God has seen this and way worse than this in the history of the world. None of this surprises him. He has been around. We need to remember, friends, we need to remember believers that this crisis is temporary, but Christ is not. This is gonna come and go. This crisis is temporary, but our God, our Jesus, our Christ is not temporary. He has been and he always will be and we can trust in him. Isaiah says, trust in the Lord forever. And I think he chooses that word because he's trying to remind us, he's trying to point us beyond our current life, beyond this current world to an eternity where our hope is set. As followers of Jesus, our hope isn't in this life. It's not in tomorrow. It's not in the next week. It is in Jesus Christ and the eternity that we're gonna have with him forever. We can trust him even beyond this life, that there's something greater coming, that there's something wonderful and beautiful 
as we look to trust in the Lord forever. This world is temporary, but Christ is not. And we are not. We're meant to be eternal with our God. He's always there with us. He's always leading us for our ultimate good and for his glory, even when we can't see it. So we can trust him. You know, I think oftentimes, as more crises come along, it tends to push us more towards fear and worry and panic, but it really shouldn't. The more crises that come in our lives, it should actually push us to more trust in Christ because every time a crisis comes, what do we see on the backside? Christ gets us through it. And so more crises shouldn't mean more fear. More crises should mean more trust in a God who has has taken us through all of it and will continue to do so. God has brought his people, he's brought his church through every single crisis throughout all of history, some of them much worse than this. And so guess what, church? We can trust him exceedingly more. You know, I, I usually run in the mornings um, before everybody else in the house gets up, usually around 6 a.m. or so. And so I try to get up before everybody else, and I get out there, and I start running. And, and, uh, but we have one little girl in our house, Ava, who her, something about her internal clock just like naturally wakes her up before the sun most mornings. Like, I don't know what's up with that. We're trying to get it corrected, but it just seems to, to keep happening. And so this past week, though, I, I got up on Wednesday, and I went out, and I started running, and, and I, I came back. And as I was coming back from my run, I used to kind of walk in the driveway a little bit to kind of cool down and get my heart beat down. But it started raining on me, so I stepped up on the front porch stoop there, and I'm kind of pacing back and forth in front of our front door to kind of cool down before I come inside. But what I didn't know was on the inside of the door, Ava had awoken and come out of her room, and she, her room kind of overlooks the front door, and she, she looks down, and much to her surprise, she sees a man dressed in all black, pacing back and forth in front of the front door of our house at 6 o'clock in the morning, and it's still dark outside. And so needless to say, she freaks out, and so she immediately runs into our room, and she wakes Courtney up, and her eyes are just as big as golf balls, and she's like, Mommy, Mommy, there's a, there's a man at our front door. He's trying to get into our house. And Courtney's like, yeah, it's daddy. He's been running. Like, it's okay. And she's like, oh, okay. And then she went back to whatever she was doing. But, but in that moment, when, when crisis came, when the fear and the panic came, what did Ava do? Her natural reaction was to run to mom. Because she knows that in the past, when crisis has happened, when problems have come, mommy's fixed it. That mommy's gotten her through it. And so she ran to mommy for that help. The same thing is true for us in Jesus. He has brought us through so much. When you think back through your life, he brings us through every crisis. He has never left us. He has never forsaken us. He has never abandoned us. And he will take us through this just like he's taken us through everything else. So we need to run to him and trust him exceedingly. Christ exceeds every crisis. So I can trust him exceedingly. Think about that. Christ exceeds every crisis that comes in our world, in our lives. So we can trust him exceedingly more. So if we're in this crisis, the first thing we need to do is we need to turn to him and trust him. But, but Micah, how do I do that when my heart's just not there? Like I want to trust him more, but, but how, how do I do What's that even look like in the midst of the craziness? Well, Let me give you four things that I think it means to trust in Christ and ways that we can press into this, especially in this time where we can't even maybe gather together the way we would like. 
How can we be sure that we're trusting in Christ more? More trust looks like four things. Number one, more prayer. Because when I go to God in prayer, I'm going and I'm, I'm taking my, my worries and my pains and my struggles to him, and I'm resting my soul in Jesus. If I trust somebody like, like I'm supposed to trust Jesus, I'm going to rest in them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to them. I'm going to lay my burdens down and let them handle it. So more trust means more prayer. Number two, more trust looks like more word. We need to be in the word. We need to be studying and reading because as we study God's word and his wisdom, it renews our minds, right? And it, it fills us with the truth of who he is and it pushes away all the panic and the fear and the lies that are trying to overcome us and we can renew our mind and trust more in God as we're more in his word. Trusting more also looks like more worship. Because as I press into worship, as I come to God and remember and remind myself that he is greater and he is God and he is holy and I am not, it's reminding my heart that I need him and that he's there and that his presence is with me and I'm not alone in this, but I have to come to a place of worship. So more trust looks like more worship. And so whatever that means for you, find a way to do that. Lastly, more trust looks like more mission. Because if I'm in prayer and I'm in the word and I'm in worship and God is filling me with his presence, it's going to push me out to reach more of my neighbors. Because they need this too. They need the hope and the love and, and they need the comfort of Jesus. And a lot of them don't have it. Not yet. And so that's what we're going to look at for the third part of the message today is in a crisis like this, how should we as the church respond, not just in our own hearts, but how should we respond to those around us? So flip with me over to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll give you a couple seconds. Get over to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at how do we respond to the crisis, not just for us, but for others as well. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Read with me. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the last thing that we need to do in a crisis is, in crisis, love people extravagantly. Love people extravagantly. Here, when Peter starts writing to the church, he says, the end of all things is at hand. <laughs> Whoa, Peter. Like, do you need a hug, bro? Like, that doesn't, sounds like you're like on the edge of the cliff. But, but in reality, we think, I think you know that he's right. Right? Don't we all feel this at times? Right? Like everything's crashing down and this seems like the end is close at hand. And biblically speaking, it is. We are in the last days before Christ's return. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know if it's next week or next year or 10 years or 100 years from now. But the Bible is clear that we're closer to that day every single step we take. And Jesus told us that as we get closer and closer to his return, that more and more crisis is going to come. That things are going to get harder and more difficult and more crazy. And, 
And so it should not surprise us at all that crisis keeps coming our way. This is part of the Christian life. This is part of following Jesus. And Peter knows it. He says, so the end of all things is at hand. And he tells us, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He's really saying the same thing Isaiah said, right? Keep your mind stayed on God. Keep your trust in him so that he can give you that perfect peace that you so desperately need. In the craziness, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He says, and above all, in other words, of most importance, of, 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 of greater importance, don't neglect this even in the midst of the crisis. We also need to do these things. And he gives us a list of three. Number one, he says, keep loving one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus said that they will know us by our love. But guess what? We also know each other sometimes by our love. Because broken people need more love in broken times, not less. Right? When, when the crisis presses in on us, it, it makes us crazy. And, and we oftentimes feel the pressure and the weight of it, and we need to be filled up with more love. And that's why it makes it so hard for us to love others sometimes in the midst of crisis. It's because we feel like it's sucking down all the love that we have ourselves. And so how can I possibly give this love to somebody else when I need it for me? And so Paul's reminding us here, Isaiah's reminding us, like, listen, keep trusting in God, keep walking with Christ, and he will keep filling you with his love so that you have it to give to others. And as he fills you up, you can then pour it out into other people's lives. So Peter says, in the crisis, keep loving one another. Number two, he says, show hospitality without grumbling. Hospitality is a super important theme throughout the Bible. And it really is just this idea of giving to others, sharing with others what I have that they need, right? It's, it's being willing to, to open my hands and give, trusting that God's going to provide what I need. Let me tell you this, hospitality definitely is not hoarding which we've seen a lot of lately, right? We've got a, we've got a picture. This is not hospitality. Look at this picture, <laughs> right? That, so if that's some of you, if some of y'all did that this week and you need to repent, you can just tie some of that TP back to the church because we're running a little bit low, right? So we'll just make it right for you. But, but that is not hospitality. Hospitality is opening our hands and giving to others. And listen, we rarely look more like Jesus than when we're giving to others, when we're loving them, when we're showing them hospitality. We can give and trust the Lord to provide for us. So love, show hospitality. And then number three, he says, serve one another as stewards of grace. Put others first as Christ did, right? That's what he did for us. He loved us sacrificially. He loved us enough to give his life for you and me. Listen, he says, if you, as you have received God's grace, and man, we have received much of God's grace. Even when it feels like things are crazy and feels like things are running low and we're unsure, when we look around, we are extremely blessed. And we have been not only experienced God's grace in the physical way and in the financial ways, but in spiritual ways. And so he says here, as you've received much of God's grace, turn and serve others with that same grace. How can you do that? How can right now, this week, in the middle of the crisis, can you turn and serve your neighbors with your time? with your talent, with your treasure? How can you take the grace that God has given it to you and pour it out to somebody else? That's what Peter's telling us to do. Love, show hospitality, and serve. And he says that in everything, God may be glorified. He brings it right back to the glory of God because in crisis is just an opportunity for more mission to glorify God. This is our chance, church, 
to step up and be the church and to shine the light and to be on mission with Jesus and to glorify the Father. And he is glorified most when we extravagantly love others the way that Jesus has loved us. Many of you know that we've been transitioning pretty much all of our ministries to online formats. And so this last week we did that with small groups too. We started moving small groups to online. I hope that you're a part of that with your small group and you're plugged in there because it's really been great and it's been cool to continue to see people connect in community that way. But one of our groups this past week, before, as we were kind of in the middle of the transition, they met one more time in person before they went to fully online. And so they're, they're meeting their small group, and, and one of the guys, um, it comes out, I guess, in the conversation that he had, he had completely, literally, run out of toilet paper. And, um, and so the small group leaders went into their bathroom and grabbed two rolls of toilet paper and gave it to him so he could take it back, and he would not be without. That is hospitality, okay? That is loving your neighbor and serving them well, and that's exactly what we need to be doing for one another and for those around us. This current situation, this crisis is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the people of God to love and serve those around us. It's an opportunity to show hospitality to those in need, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and it's an opportunity for the gospel to break into lives that otherwise would never be open to it. There are people all around you right now at your work, in your neighborhood, that in your family, that are, are wrestling, maybe for the first time or in a long time, with their mortality, with fear, with panic, with, with worry. And they're looking for something. They're looking for a hope that's bigger than themselves. They're looking for answers. They're looking for something that they can trust in beyond what they see in this world. And you have it. You know it. You know who it is, and you need to get it to them. Don't waste your opportunity to love people extravagantly and point them to Jesus. If we do that, God will be with us. He'll help us every step of the way. Because as Peter reminds us here at the end, he says, to him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. God is on the throne. And he has the power and he has the strength and he will be with us forever and ever. We can trust him. So step out of the fear, step out of the panic, and go and serve in the power of Christ and let the gospel be the glory of God to you and to all those around you in the middle of the crisis. Live in love every day like God is still on the throne. That's what we're called to do. Followers of Jesus, live in love every day like Christ is still on the throne. So I want to give you just real quickly two practical ways that you can do that right now. Number one, as individuals, in the email that you received with the links for this service and all those resources, there's one link in there where you can click on. It takes you to the, the Love Your Neighbor cards. And these are cards that you can print off, or if you don't have a printer, you can handwrite this onto a note. And take these cards, put your information on it, and then take them to your neighbors that you know can't get out. Maybe people who have chose to self-quarantine for various reasons, or maybe it's their health or their age or, or whatever. Take the card. Don't, you know, try to get them face-to-face, but, like, put it in their door, put it underneath their mat, put it somewhere where they're going to see it. And this card tells them, like, listen, I'm here. I'm available. I'm ready to help. If you need me, contact me, and I will help you in this time. And it's a great way for us to just put ourselves out there and allow God to use us to help others in the midst of this crisis. 
But then secondly, as a church, we want to help, right? We want to serve. We want to we be on mission. And so the second thing I want to offer to you this morning is if you can help, maybe in some specific ways, I would encourage you to send that to us. Send me an email. Send Nathaniel an email. You can go on our website and get our email addresses or whatever. Contact us and say, listen, I can go get somebody some groceries. I can help pray with people. I can write some cards or some notes to encourage people. I can, I can maybe give some financial aid if somebody needs it. Like whatever the thing is, if you can help, let us know. And then secondly, if you need help, let us know. Or maybe your family member or your friend or your neighbor. And we can pair those who need help up with those who can help, and let's be the church and help one another in the midst of this crisis. We want to we do this. We want to step into this. And so we hope that you'll do that with us. Listen, friends, crisis is an opportunity to trust Christ exceedingly and love people extravagantly. Don't waste this opportunity, church. God has given this to us as a gift. Keep trusting Christ more by praying, by being in the word, by worshiping. And then love people more by going out and serving them as Christ has served you. So they can see the hope that you have in Jesus. This is our chance to be the church. Don't waste the opportunity. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we just bow before you now. We thank you, God. That, that you are with us, Lord. We thank you that we get to worship you today, even if it's through an online format. We get to worship you because you are still on the throne. You are still with us in the midst of the crisis. Thank you, Lord, for all the reminders that you have given us that none of this has caught you off guard. None of this has caught you by surprise, Lord. None of this is beyond you or bigger than you, but rather you are using it right now for good in your world and in the lives of your people. Lord, open our eyes right now this week to unique opportunities that we have to grow in our trust of you and in our love for other people. Lord, use us for your glory, for your mission, right here, right now, in the midst of the crisis. God, come and fill us with your heart. Lead us out in your love to all those around us. Father, make us your church. Put us on your mission. Lord, fill us with your love. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.